What is my joy this morning to start us on a new journey. We're launching a new sermon series that'll go from today through the next four weeks, and it's called No Worries. How many of you are worried about something? Yeah, right. I think this is going to be probably pretty good for most of us. And if you are not a worrier, we want to know how you do it. <laughs> Our uh, text for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6. It's uh, from verses 25 to 34. So let's listen together as I read for us the word of the Lord. That, Jesus said, is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more important than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we said, right, most of us probably have something, maybe at least one thing we're worried about. Some of you are sitting here right now worried about your home life or your work life. Some of you have children that are in Sunday school right now and you're worried about whether or not that's going to go okay for them. Some of you have newborns that you've dropped off for the first time down in the nursery and you're worried Someone's going to come tap you to say they're inconsolable. Come, come, come to the nursery and help. Some of you are worried about your financial situation, tension with your kids, tension with your parents. And if you weren't worried about any of these things when you walked in, now you are. So you are very welcome. I, I do what I can to, to help us all get through the day, right? I, uh, I find myself thinking of worry a bit like a roller coaster, a thrill ride in an amusement park. I know this is not a new metaphor. When I saw uh, last year a clip on Jimmy Fallon, I don't know if any of you are Jimmy Fallon fans, but he took uh, comedian Kevin Hart up on uh, the Rip Ride Rocket at Universal Studios Orlando. Now, granted, this was TV, right? So of course they kind of made a big fuss about this, but Kevin Hart does not like roller coasters. And Jimmy Fallon thought it would be fun to throw him in a roller coaster and film this thing. And as you can imagine, right, you know, I mean, the anxiety and the worry caught on film as he made his way up to the top of the Rip Ride rocket was something to see. It's a four-minute clip on YouTube. You can go watch it if you want. And then they drop him over the top, right? And I mean, look at the look on his face. <laughs> right? This is what it feels like to be us sometimes, right? Doesn't it? You know, and then they dropped over the top as expected and twisted and turned and the whole thing. And he screamed and he hollered. And when they finally pulled into the station and everybody's hair calmed back down and they caught their breath, 
Jimmy Fallon giggled and looked over at the, um, the, the roller coaster operator and said, let's do it again, <laughs> and yanked him all the way back up. This, though, is the way we find ourselves. That look on his face is sort of how some of us go through our days and our nights and our months and our years, and it doesn't feel like an amusement park vacation thrill ride. Sometimes it feels like we're going to go right over the top and nothing is going to catch us. And we wonder, what if I can't make the payment or the mortgage or the rent? And what if my kid makes a bad decision? And kids sometimes go, what if my parents make that bad decision? And we wonder, what if the doctor calls with bad news? And what if the phone rings in the middle of the night? And what if my teenager doesn't come home one night? What if the plane is delayed? What if I miss the meeting? What if terrorists target my city next? What if the worst case scenario happens and I tip over the top and there's nothing to catch me? We worry They worried at the time of Jesus like we worry now. We didn't invent worry. We are a phenomenally worried culture. But Jesus knew then, as he knows now, we needed to be told, do not worry. We lose sleep because we are stressed out with our worry. The sermon graphic we picked to illustrate this together shows one window that is dark, which means someone's sleeping They're not worried. They're not up all night wringing their hands. And the other is the one with the lights on. And in one survey conducted by the APA back in 2012, 44% 44 of American adults said that stress and worry caused them to lie awake at least one full night in a previous month. We stay up and we worry. And we live in a culture that makes money on our worry. There are entire product lines developed to fuel our worry and get us to spend money so we can have peace of mind and stop worrying. There's a great author named Amy Simpson who writes a book called Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry. And she talks about how much money there is to be made on our worries. And there's security alarms and there's baby monitors and there's baby cameras and all that stuff. I have three kids. Trust me, we were panicked. We used to check them all the time and make sure they were still breathing, right? These are not bad things necessarily, but when they consume us, when our attention is given over to feed our worry, it limits us and it robs us of the beautiful life God has given us to live. And maybe you're in your kitchen one day and you catch a 30-second news bite about the danger lurking in your refrigerator or your strawberries, right? And suddenly you weren't worried about something and then you're like, oh my gosh, should we ever eat strawberries again, you know? And then we start worrying. Mark Twain once said, I'm an old man and I have known many great troubles, but most of them have never happened. We are steeped in worry. And Jesus says, do not worry. And before we get into the text for today, I want to let you know there is healthy fear. It's okay to be worried about certain things. When I was in Colorado, I was trail running one afternoon by myself, and I came running around the corner, and there was a rattlesnake coiled up smack in the middle of the trail, like something off the Discovery Channel. Healthy fear told me, and the adrenaline kicked in, I should probably take another way down from this run, right? That is a good thing, Fear protects us. But the problem, 
And the difference between worry and fear is this. Amy Simpson explains it this way. Worry is not an immediate response to a real or perceived danger like a rattlesnake. It's anticipatory. It's rooted in concern about something that may or may not happen. It's a pattern we choose to indulge. It rises not from outside of us, but from within. And whether we realize it or not, worry is an action. It is a choice we make to stay in the place of anxiety that was designed to protect us from immediate danger. If I had gone home and, 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 and said I'd never run again and lost sleep for months with fear of rattlesnakes and, and, and kept my kids inside in case there was one in the driveway, right? This is, this is taking healthy fear and turning it into something like worry and anxiety. And I also want to recognize, I know some of us struggle with worry and anxiety at a very deep level. And there are those among us that need mental health, profession, mental health professionals to help us with that. And that's okay. I encourage us to get the help we need. And I don't in any way want to assume that what I'm going to say in this sermon is somehow going to fix some of the struggles that we have with around mental health. But I do think that most of us as a culture live with a generalized anxiety. And Jesus says to us, don't worry. So what is that about? And how can we be people who don't worry? Because it all sounds pretty good, right? But right now you're still worried about the thing you were worried about when we started this is my guess. And if I'm honest, I'll tell you, I'm worried about stuff right now too. But Jesus says, he starts this passage out in verse 25. He says, that is why I tell you that the that he's talking about here is what came before this text. This text is smack in the middle of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. One of the most famous collections of Jesus teachings. Starts in Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the timid, those in poverty. Blessed are those people. And then he goes on and he teaches the Lord's Prayer that we just said right before we get to this passage. And then he talks about treasures. And Jesus says, don't store up treasures in heaven. Don't stockpile your riches and your goodies here because that doesn't amount to anything at the end of life. And so knowing all that, knowing who is blessed and that we can come to God in prayer and that you should not focus on your possessions, knowing all that, that is why I tell you, he says in, in verse 25, do not worry. The stuff you worry about is fleeting. Worry, the word worry appears six times in this passage. The best translation from the Greek is agitation, disorder, and disturbance. And Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. My guess is he was gathered up on a hilltop and there was probably a field nearby and maybe there were birds above him in the sky. There were probably wildflowers right there he could have pointed out. He chose to put this in the most common terms for us, something that everybody could relate to. He says, look at the birds. You know, I take care of them. You are so much more important than a bird. So wh why, do you, why do you fuss? Why are you agitated? And by the way, the flowers, he says, King Solomon, who was one of the most decorated, adorned, majestic, marvelous kings that ever reigned in Israel, he, he had nothing on the wildflowers that I created. So why are you worried about these things? If I can take care of these little things, won't I take care of you? And then in verse 30, he says, why do you have little faith? The, the actual translation there is, why are you little faiths? He calls the disciples and those listening, little faiths. 
He says, why do you function like this? And I think what's happening here is that Jesus is asking a very basic question. Do you believe that God is in control? Not you, not somebody else that you know, but God himself. Do you believe that God is in control? Even when we look around and see a world with terrorism and war and famine and starvation and natural disaster, even when terrible things like cancer and illness and death and disease riddle our culture and our world, do you still believe in all of that, that there is a God and that God is in control? And even though we don't know why bad things happen to really good people, God is still in control. Do you believe that? And if you do, then why are any of us worried about things we don't have any control over? I woke up this morning. I couldn't make it 80 degrees outside if I tried. Trust me, I wanted to. It is, this has been a long, dark winter. We have, no, we have control over so little. And so if I believe if God, God is in control, why am I losing sleep and letting worry infect my life when I don't have control over things. Why don't I just let God do the things that are going to happen? Not do the things, but be with me in the things that are going to happen. And why am I worried about things that ultimately don't matter as much as I think that they do? What I think is important. Why do I wrestle those things to the ground and near kill myself to make them happen when God never said that stuff was important after all? Now, I get it because some of us are probably sitting here scoffing, going, really, it's just that simple. Let go and let God, right? Is he some sort of divine Bobby McFerrin or Bob Marley? Every little thing is going to be all right. You know, is Jesus, is this, is this, what is this, right? Is this, this seems overly simplistic. You know, and as I wrote this sermon, I was texting a woman who has four children and her husband was in the hospital having a brain tumor removed right? So I'm I'm writing a sermon about worry, and I'm sure she was worried, and she kept texting me, I know God's got this. Did she, and do any of us, want the best outcomes? Of course we do. But do we believe that God is with us even when the worst case scenario happens? That we never fully drop uncontrollably over the roller coaster, that we eventually will get caught by God, And I promise you, sometimes that doesn't happen this side of heaven. I get that. I get that. But do you believe that God is with you in it? This is not simplistic. Simple faith says, I'm just going to close my eyes and pretend that bad things don't happen. You know, it breaks my heart. A lot of us as pastors, it breaks our hearts when people come to us and say, I gave gave my life over to Jesus and it it got worse. (laughs) And bad stuff still happened. And you know what we say? We're like, yeah, that's kind of sometimes how it happens. But the reality is that a true, strong faith says, I trust that God is with me even in those places. Author Philip Yancey travels the world, and he talks about the way people pray in different countries. And he says when he's in the United States, and he's an American, he's from um, the Western United States, and he says, you know, when I pray with Americans, we pray, God, take the stuff that's hard away. Take it away. Remove everything that's bad from my life. And he said almost everywhere else in the world, the prayer is, God, get me through the things that are hard in my life. 
Yes, we would want them to go away if we're honest. But he says the prayers all over the rest of the world are, God, there are bad things happening. Remind me that you are riding shotgun with me. You're actually driving the car. And you're going to get me through the bad things. This is not a simplistic faith. This is a bold decision to trust that the God of the universe has us in his hands and is never going to let us fall and plummet all the way down to the pit. And so Jesus says, he goes, so why then do you worry about tomorrow? He goes, you guys, you guys have enough to worry about today. It's all we can do to get through the day. I mean, how many of you at the end of the day come home and you're like, whew, that was a doozy, right? And sometimes days are great and you're, you celebrate something at the end of the day. But a lot of times you come home, you just want to sit on the couch and kind of zone out for a while. You have enough to worry about just to get through one day. So don't think that you have more power and control over life than you do. You have enough to worry about for today. Corey Ten Boom, who was a Holocaust survivor, a Holocaust survivor, was able to say this, worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Jeremiah, the prophet, says this. God says I, through him, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and to give you a hope, even when we sit and struggle in hard places. So do you believe? If you believe that God has this, then why are we so worried? To the point where worry takes over our lives. It becomes sometimes how we define ourselves. We can be proud of ourselves because responsible people worry, right? Don't let worry steal your joy and the ability to see what is good for today. So how do we do this, right? I mean, easy to say, but what are, what are practical ways, right? I mean, the first is to remember God provides. And it doesn't always happen exactly how we want it to. And it doesn't happen in the ways we think it will. But if you read through your scriptures, you will see time and time and time and time again that God provides for his people. In Exodus 16 and in 2 Kings, he provides very tangible things, food, resources for people who needed them at the time. Jesus has feeding miracles. He fed the 5,000, right? He provides for us spiritually through communion in Matthew 26 is a great example of that. In Matthew 8, Jesus, in his itinerant life, he didn't have a big house in the suburbs with a minivan. He, he was on the road and he was always provided for. God provides for his people. Even those who live in war-torn, terror-stricken, famished parts of the world. And they may not have the tangible things they need, and we may wonder why, but God is there in those places with those groups of people helping them through their stuff, just as he's helping us through ours. When my daughter, uh, last weekend, uh, we were on a, a, a sports event weekend, a tournament, and uh, she's, uh, we got to go to a couple specialists. She's um, hovering over an asthma diagnosis, which I know is no big deal. It happens to a lot of people. She had a coughing and wheezing fit over the weekend. And she was wheezing in and out, in and out, and panicking and crying. And, you know, crying doesn't really make those situations better. And so I'm holding her. Meanwhile, I'm Googling, you know, where's the closest urgent care? And my husband had gone off to get her some medicine. And I'm holding her, and I'm holding her. And she's freaking out, freaking out. And I said, finally, I, said, I grabbed her little face. I said, baby doll. I've got this. Mama's got this. You're going to be all right. You need to calm down. Mama's got this. And she went from this tense, she's seven, this tense bundle of nerves, and she just 
she believed me when I said that. And she went, oh, she just visibly relaxed. And she looked at me with these big full eyes, and she trusted that I had it. Can you do that with God? Can you, with your anxious ball of nerves and whatever is worrying you, can you just, God has this. He will provide for you. And you may not know exactly how it's going to happen. And it may not happen according to your list of plans, but God has you. So can you look into the face of God and trust that God has this? That's my first challenge for us. And the second is this. Can you let that God then define you? Not your possessions or your own desires, or the kingdom that you've built. One of the things Jesus is teaching here is he wants us to be about his kingdom purposes, a kingdom that is centered on justice and hope and mercy, centered on getting our resources to the places where there aren't resources so that some of the trauma in life can be eased for other people. Can you be about kingdom purposes, not your own purposes? Edmund Burke is rumored to have said, sin has many tools. But a lie is the handle that fits them all. And I think the lie many of us, myself included, often tell ourselves is that I'm in charge. We are self-made people. We are self-starters. We want our end game. We build our little kingdoms. We build our comforts. And those are subject to every whim and fancy that blows through. They're subject to market trends and fashion trends. And they're subject to being too old or too young Now, why do you build your kingdom? It's no surprise you're worried when you're trying to protect something that you built instead of living into my kingdom purposes. I'm God. I've actually got a bigger picture of this than you do, (laughs) is what Jesus is trying to say here. So don't worry. Don't let worry steal your life and steal your joy. Live into what you can do for today. Don't live into your own little kingdom, but live into God's kingdom purposes. Paul picks up on this thread in Philippians chapter 4. He wrote a letter to the church at Philippi, and in that letter he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. In your troubles, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And what? The God of peace. Not worry. The God of peace will be with you. If you chase after my things, I will be with you and bring you my peace. When Jesus was about to go to the cross and die, he was trying to share this with his disciples. They didn't get it. And they knew something was going to happen. And they were grieved. And he was saddened. And they were confused. And what he said to them before he left, wasn't, here's a list of 10 things you got to make sure you have in order so you can keep the, keep the ship running while I'm gone. He said, no. He said, peace, I leave with you. I leave you my peace. Something really tragic is about to happen, but I, I give you my peace. And I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not be little faiths. Life will still be hard, but I am with you. Live a big, bold beautiful faith. You know, every week, um, I, my great joy and my, one of my responsibilities here 
at church is to, is to help make this, this time we share together happen. I get to hang out with cool people like, like the band and Steph and John and, and Murph there in, in the back. And you know what? I'm going to confess, it makes me incredibly anxious. <laughs> Murphy can tell you. I, I'm a panicked mess on Sunday mornings. If you've ever been here at the 1045 hour, you'll know we often have standing room only. And I'm in the back sweating and I want everybody to have a seat. And I wonder, is the technology going to work and our, is the, our lights going to come on and off in the, uh, on the, at the right time? I, I, I'm a mess. And I was a mess all week. I am preaching a sermon I'm on worry. And I was an anxious mess all week over the sermon on worry. And I kept going home and saying to my husband, seriously, God, like, why am I the one preaching the sermon on worry? You know, here's the thing. I don't need to be here. God is, God is here. You know, if this building blew off in the next storm, we could still come and stand where it was and sing Kumbaya until we figured out what to do next. We don't need any of this. And God surely doesn't need me and my anxious little words and, and wondering whether someone's got a seat in the back. God's bigger than all of that. And I'm not trying to say that you need to walk off with my professional anxiety, right? But put that in your own context, right? I mean, what are we trying to do here? At the end of the day, God's got it. He's bigger than us. And he knows a lot more than we do on how this whole thing is going to go down. So do not worry and do not be afraid. My challenge for us this week is, um, you can do it right now before you leave if you want, but um, write down the passage that we just read, Philippians 4, 4 to 9. Okay, read that this week. And I want you to make a, a worry list. Write down top five or ten things. Some of you might have a hard time finding that money. Some of you are going to have to force yourself to stop at ten. <laughs> okay. And then I want you to take that passage from Philippians, and I want you to pray it over your list. I want you to hold your list, and I want you to open your Bible, and I want you to put that passage from Philippians in first person. All right? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And use first-person pronouns and say, let my gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I will not be anxious about anything. You see how that works? Try that every day. We're going to come back next week. We're going we're to talk more about this. Dan is going to be preaching next week. T try that every day and, and pray over that and see if that changes anything. It may not, I'll be honest, but I really hope it does. As I believe that the word of God can change our hearts and bring us peace. And that when Jesus said, no worries, he knew we would be here today in our culture, in our time in history, anxious. And he said that for us. And he says it for the generations to come. So do not worry and do not be afraid. Amen? All right, let's pray and then the band is going to come back up. Lord, thank you so much for walking us through the stresses we have in life. Lord, we can be little faiths, and we can be anxious and worried. So Lord, help us remember that when you said that to us, you meant it as an act of strength and courage that we would trust in you, that through the storms of life, you would be with us. So help us release our worries to you and live as people with bold, strong faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the band has a great treat for you guys, a song that they've worked on called Out of the Valley, and it's a conversation about how we can move up and rise up through the worries that surround us.